there's nothing I love more than running hills. And I saw these beautiful coolies and they looked like the rising back of a dinosaur just arching out of the side of the prairie beside this river. And I thought, oh my gosh, that'll be some suffering. So I registered for the Lost Souls 50. That was Heidi Schmaltz. And this is episode 37 of the Inspired Souls podcast. Hi, I'm Carolyn, and I'm a roadrunner. And I'm Kim, and I'm a trail runner. Welcome to our podcast, where we bring the communities of trail and road running together and explore the parallels between running and life. Heidi Schmaltz is a trail ultra runner, a nurse and a mother of two from Saskatchewan, Canada. Heidi and I, Kim, have literally crossed paths on the trail, but have never officially met in person. That said, thanks to modern technology and the relatively small trail running community of the Canadian prairies, we have gotten to know each other over time. And Heidi feels like someone I have known for years, to the point that people have actually commented, you guys have never met? I figured it was high time to get to know Heidi a little bit better. She is an independent free spirit, a thinker and a running philosopher. We think you will find this episode relaxed, introspective, and insightful as you hear Heidi's thoughts that come from a place of deep knowing, of grief, and of joy, and of lots of time on the trails. And now I'll get out of the way as we downshift into this powerful conversation with Heidi. So Heidi, it is a pleasure to have you on the Inspired Souls podcast. Welcome. Well, thanks for having me today. I'm really excited to have a just good old fashioned conversation with a couple of girls about everything related to running. Before we get too much further along, can you just give us a little bit of information about you? Tell us about yourself. Well, my name's Heidi Schmaltz. Um, I live in Lumsden, Saskatchewan in the beautiful Coppell River Valley. Um, work in healthcare. I'm a registered nurse at the CCU and with Regina Home Care and also a casual uh, advanced care paramedic, a uh, single mom of two, uh, avid runner and avid reader. All right, and how did you get into running? Well, both my parents were runners. Uh, my dad loved to run track in high school, and uh, even though he didn't run into his adult years, he used to love to do sprints with us in the yard, and used to love to talk about his track days, how he used to do long jump, and uh, my mom um, loved to do long distance walking. She was a runner in university. And then even after she had kids, she had six kids in total. Um, she used to go for long, long stroller walks every day. And whenever she was tired, overwhelmed, she'd go for a long walk by herself. And so I just got used to going out for long wanders around the quarter and wanders around the country with my mom and my brothers and sisters all packed up in the stroller. And my siblings and I used to go out and run around the quarter section or see how many more power poles we could run to and just run to just the next power pole without stopping. I always loved doing that. I'd always think, you know, you can, you can always do one more pole, Heidi, and try to run to the next one without stopping. Um, but I didn't, uh, didn't actually become a distance runner until my adult years. Ran a bit of track in high school. Um, I was athletic. I loved to play sports when I could. Loved to Highland dance, played some hockey in high school, but um, other than a bit of track, I didn't realize that I had an affinity for distance running until I was uh, in my late 20s. At the time I was going to nursing school, I was bridging from my paramedics to my nursing degree, and uh, one of my dear, dear friends, who at that time was just a carpool buddy, I think Providence threw us together for carpooling for school so that we could become dear friends. She was a half marathon runner. Her name's Robin Obrowski and she's one of my dearest friends. And uh, she used to go for runs in the River Valley in Saskatoon on our breaks from classes because we were in the same cohort in nursing school. And she said, you know, come with me. She said, you know, you, you'll have fun. So I went with her and she's like, oh, you know how to run. I'm like, well, no, I, I don't, you know, you can teach me how, but uh, I so enjoyed it just, just flowing through those trails with her and she said to me one day, why don't you just uh, come run this 10K trail race with me? Just just show up and do it. So I went and we ran a 10K and it was fabulous. And uh, she had some IT band issues that race, which made it a bit of a trial. But uh, it was just a joyful time on the trails. And uh, then when I reached my later 20s, I was at the tail end of my Highland dancing years. 
and uh, I really wanted something physical for myself. And uh, so my friend Robin said, you know, why don't you train for a half marathon? I'm like, oh gosh, I could never do that. <laughs> Not thinking that, you know, growing up on the farm and going on long runs, long walks, long hikes in the river valley with lots of hills in the North Saskatchewan River Valley that I, I've been used to going for hours at a time, but I had never thought of it as distance motion. And so I religiously completed a half marathon training program. And, Good for you. It was wonderful. I did the Sask Marathon for my first half, and it was it was lovely. And uh, I remember, yeah, just being fascinated by how neat it felt to uh, just have my mind settled in my body for such a long period of time. And uh, it made me want to run longer. So on that note, let's talk a bit more about endurance. I um, I got to know you quite virtually, actually, through social media on the trail, ultra running platforms. Yeah. And people probably, you know, always say to me, you and Heidi have never actually met. <laughs> you don't know each other. We do know each other, but we, we know each other without ever having gone on a run together. Although we have planned mm-hmm. a few times to meet up. COVID kind of got in the way of that. But tell us a little bit about how you started to explore endurance, maybe not with running, but as a child. Tell us the story about the pole. Okay. Just as kind of a tiny preamble to that, like growing up, um, two of my siblings were very musical. Um, They were very gifted pianists, and my mom was very gifted um, musically as well. And uh, I always felt a little out of place sometimes because I could carry a tune to sing Happy Birthday, but um, I couldn't sit still long enough to practice the piano. I wasn't uh, gifted musically like my sisters, and that was very big in our social circle. But I remember my mom saying to me when I was small, it's probably about between eight and 10 at this time. She said to me, you know, she said, you have a gift. She said, you have the ability to not stop at things. She said, so even if you're not going to be a pianist like your sister, she said, you'll find what you're going to do. And you have the ability to not stop. And I, I liked that. I kind of held on to that as a kid. But um, yeah, to kind of talk about the pole story. So we lived on a lived on an acreage. We used to raise a lot of chickens for eggs and meat and extra money. And uh, in the barn on the the third stall on the right, at the end there, we had a uh, old piece of metal pipe. And we used it every year to hang and pluck the chickens on. We usually butchered once, twice a year. But that pole just always stayed there because it was just an empty stall we didn't use. And I was the biggest and the strongest of my sisters. And so I always used to be the one to help my dad um, do a lot of the chores. We all worked, but... uh, I did a lot of chores with my dad. I was kind of his helper. And uh used to walk by that pole all the time. I remember one time walking by it and looking at it and the, the height that it was hung at, I remember thinking, you know, I could I could hold on to that pole and maybe just see how long I could hang on. I was probably about 10 or 11 at this time. So I walked up to it and I remember the first night I held on to it, I put my hands on it and flexed my fingers and it was high enough that I had to reach up for it but it was low enough that I had to bend my knees a little bit to pick my feet up off the ground and I remember thinking well that's good because then I'll have to decide if I really want to hold on to it or not because it'll be so easy to put my foot down and and the first night I, I held on until my fingers and my shoulders cramped and then I then I let go put my feet down the next night I went out and did chores and saw the pole again and I thought to myself why did you let go so soon? As soon as you let go, you were fine. So I, um, I thought about the, the cramping and the discomfort that caused me to let go. And, and before I held onto the pole that next night, I imagined exactly how it would feel when my fingers cramped and when my shoulders cramped. And it was when the cramp got to my diaphragm that I let go last time. And so I thought, okay, this time, I'm going to breathe with my belly. My mom was big into breathing, being a a distance runner. So I was thinking, okay, I'm going to exhale for that extra count and breathe with my belly and not my ribs so I can let my shoulders relax more. And so I thought all through to the discomfort that I had thus experienced. I thought, thought it through and accepted it. And then I went and I put my fingers around it and I picked up my feet and I held onto the pole. And it was like magic because um, just like I had expected, my fingers cramped and then my forearms cramped and my shoulders cramped. And when it got down to my kind of traps and my ribs, I, that's when I thought, okay, 
This is it. Now this is where I can use my belly and last a little longer this time. And I did. I lasted longer that time. And uh, for a couple of years, when I'd go out to do the chores several times a week, I would go and I would uh, hold onto the pole and mentally catalog each discomfort I expected to have and accept it so that I could try to last through it. And it was kind of groundbreaking for me to realize that when I had mentally accepted and for lack of a better term, made friends with the discomfort to come, it kept moving the edges of when the point where I had to let go would be. And it really created a fascination in me with those fluid borders that we have and how far can we accept anticipate and make friends with our pain in order to keep moving them and I still think about that now when I'm racing or going through a hard time in life I say to myself you just hold out of the pole this is fascinating do you think your mom planted that seed of belief in you like you're the type of person that can just keep on going you're you're that type of person like did you bring kind of what she said there into into this whole experience with the pole do you think but, but you know what I'll even sit, go further and say she didn't say you could keep on going she told you not to stop there's a difference there is a difference yeah because the not stop is a very immediate tactile you are in the moment all you are doing is the moment whereas keeping going for me, is a far more daunting mental thing to pick up. Right. Because what does that entail? Whereas to not stop, you simply manage the moment. And that could be defined differently for anybody, but that's how I've always pondered that. But that's a a very profound experience Mm -hmm. to have as a young person, I think. Like, doesn't it take us decades to learn that lesson of like, life is full of pain, you know, it's full of joy, but there's also pain. And to to befriend that pain and to welcome it and to accept it at such a young age in in that it wasn't just like a one-time experience. This was an ongoing thing, it sounds like, with the pole. (laughs) I I love this story. Yeah, no, I I used to I used to do it on and off regularly. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and you had a curiosity, like the pole wasn't threatening. It wasn't dangerous. It wasn't life or death. You know, you made this choice to explore your edges with a real curiosity about your body and what you were feeling and what your mind did Mm -hmm. and how your mind could affect your body. Like that's a level of being in tune with yourself that Mm -hmm. first off, most kids don't have second off. Most people in their thirties don't remember they had when they were kids. (laughs) So, you know, I'm sure the parallelism to life and to, I'm sure you're running and particularly ultra running is pretty obvious. You know, you were already training at a very young age to have that mental endurance and that grit. You talk quite fondly about your parents and and about your father and and the farm. I know you experienced a tremendous loss Mm -hmm. at a young age. Tell us a bit about that. How old was I when my dad passed away? Let me just think for a second. Oh, I would have been late 16, early 17, but, uh, yeah, I was very close to both my parents. I was really blessed to have parents who believed in me for who I was and not who maybe they wanted me to be um, or what their idea of what I could have been was. Um, they weren't perfect, but they really did make me feel like um, I was able to try. I didn't expect to succeed at everything, but I felt like they trusted me to have a kick at the can. But yeah, my father passed away very suddenly at home when I was um, in my late teens Um, We were all watching a hockey game, and he died very suddenly of a massive cardiac event. And I'd never had a destabilizing experience like that before. It was a pain I hadn't seen coming, hadn't been able to anticipate it. My my heart was broken that night when my my mom came home from the hospital after he went by ambulance. And um, that's when I grew up. And I just realized that um, no one was coming to save you. You know, there's nothing that could change that. I didn't know what to do with that pain. My whole family was in so much pain for such a long time. I had 
a lot of loving people in my life still, but my dad was a very joyful person. Um, he's the kind of person who would have a puppet show with two socks and a flashlight if we couldn't afford to go see a movie. He's the kind of person who would play dress up and blow up floaties from the dollar store and go to the river valley. And uh, I do look for the joy in life. And my mom says I was a very joyful little girl, but, uh, I felt like the anchor of my joy was gone after that. Yeah, what a profound experience to have at such a critical age, right? Like the, in your teenage years when so much is mm-hmm. disorienting and things are changing and then to have this, like how do you, in, in reflecting upon those years, like how do you feel like the loss of your father has kind of influence the the direction of your life I mean did it influence the direction of your career I'm curious um how did it mold you how did it sort of guide you on on uh, the path that you've taken so far well I wouldn't say it directly influenced my career choice um I had always been interested in emergency health care it did make me um grow up quite young not in a bad way. My mom still loved me very much, but there was just a lot to do and take care of. Like four younger siblings, one older, she's a year and a half older, and then four younger. And my youngest brother is 16 or 17 years younger than me. Mm. There's almost uh, 19 years between the oldest and youngest. So he was just a toddler when my dad passed away. So I felt a lot of responsibility to help my mom with all my siblings. Felt a lot of responsibility for the pain my family was feeling. And not that they didn't support me too, but uh, I definitely felt like it made me grow up and accept some hard truth, um, you know, before I wished I would have had to. But many people have to accept far worse at far younger. And did you ever, like, again, I want to circle back to the pole (laughs) for a second, because that was very (laughs) much like a physical pain, right? Like it was a physical discomfort in your body what you mm-hmm. describe like in your fingers and your ribs and all of that but this is a this is an emotional pain right and and did yes. you have could you bring any of those learnings into coping with and moving through some of the emotional pain that you experienced with the passing of your father at the time no I'm very, very much a kinesthetic person. I think I reflect I, I organize my mind, I process emotions both good and bad and hard and happy um, through movement. When I was younger and I'd be stressed about things, I would go and like garden furiously. I'd go run around the quarter. And at the time, without really a medium for movement, to process some of this pain and and come to terms with some of these things, no, I didn't didn't apply that physical method of... um, moving through discomforts to the emotional and psychological until Mm -hmm. later in my 20s. I used to go to the gym a lot after my dad passed away when I was training for my paramedics. Um, Not the biggest dog in the shed and I needed to pass the lifting exam. So I used to lift weights quite a bit and I found that very cathartic. But I really missed going long, just just biking around the corridor and running to the river valley. I, I missed the long flow of cardio, I found that brought me such greater peace than the gym, even though there's nothing wrong with lifting weights. So I would say I got some some release through exercise in my early 20s, but it wasn't until later on that I um, got into running in a more organized sense and realized what a powerful, powerful vector for emotional resolution it could be for me. Yeah, we've we've talked about this a little bit. You're a thinker and a philosopher. You're a running philosopher, similar to myself. And running really can, movement meditation can be very powerful. You talked a bit about how you started running half marathons with Robin, was it? Mm-hmm. Yes, Robin Abrowski. Yeah, and she said I can yeah. say her name on the podcast. Okay. Lovely running mama <laughs> friend from North Battleford. Just a shout out to the best running bestie out there. So. Awesome. <laughs> But like many of us in, in the trail world and in the ultra world, we do find ourselves going longer and diving deeper. And um, just tell us a little bit about your, your running evolution and how, how your runs changed, potentially distances changed, races changed. Tell us a bit about that. 
Yeah, well, so I did my first half marathon at the Sask Marathon and and it was wonderful. And I loved the training process. I really started to process a lot of, um, I, I wouldn't say unresolved grief, but um, just pain that I had stored away, whether it was from not being able to help my family in their pain and, and the losses that I had had in life, whether it was bad memories from bad ambulance calls that had just blocked up my emotions. I just started to feel these things when I started running longer. And it was deeply cathartic for me on my training runs for this half marathon. And I finished the race and it went great and I didn't feel tired at the end at all. So of course, natural step is why I better run a marathon. <laughs> so um registered for a marathon and did my first one at Niagara Falls. What a beautiful place to run your first marathon. It was beautiful. Yeah, there was 80K headwinds for the last 25 kilometers as we were coming along the river, but it was still beautiful. And it was a wonderful day. I finished it. And again, I I loved the movement. I loved the reflective flow I was able to get into. I loved the fact that I felt at peace when I was running, but I didn't feel like I had felt out any edges yet. And so course is rational decision I better run longer <laughs> so uh, my my first uh, ultra distance was actually right the same months that I did the Niagara Falls Marathon in October and uh, I just went out into the river valley in the Battleford area where I was living at the time and uh, I dropped a couple bags with a bottle of water and a banana and some black licorice underneath the old bridge and I just started running around both cities through the river valley and I ran until I hit, I believe it was right around 50 kilometers. And it was wonderful. The peace and quiet of nature around me was even more wonderful than a road marathon. But again, I felt like I wanted something that um, I could latch onto a, a little bit more struggle because I found the physical struggle deeply cathartic to releasing of, of mental and emotional stressors. So you were just getting started at the 50K? <laughs> just, yeah, no, the, well, every race is different, right? Some days a 10K feels impossible, mm -hmm. but those days when, um, when it comes together is really magic. You know, I always say each race has a different story. Mm -hmm. Each race teaches you something. Each race teaches you something. Yeah, each yeah. run teaches you something. But after that, I, uh, I started reading different run blogs. I started getting excited about the possibility of doing a trail race in Saskatoon. And so I stumbled across this Lost Souls blog post that someone had put up many years ago. It was a race report for the 100K. And I don't know if it was the terrain of that river valley. I grew up near the North Saskatchewan and the Battle River Valley. Most of the deep and meaningful events of my life have taken place near a river valley, um, Millions of picnics and fishing trips in the North Saskatchewan growing up. Yeah, I just, I love river valleys. There's something about the water and the trees and the movement of it. But I saw these pictures and the coolies just captured my mind. I thought that looks fantastic. That looks so fun because I love hills. I love hills. I, I don't know if you ladies know this, uh -huh. but there's nothing I love more than running hills. <laughs> and I saw these beautiful coolies and they looked like the rising back of a dinosaur just arching out of the side of the prairie beside this river. And I thought, oh my gosh, that'll be some suffering. So I registered <laughs> for the Lost Souls 50 and I started diligently training by running up and down the old water slide hill in the Battlefords called King Hill. It's about a third of the size of the smaller coolies, just for reference. And uh, I went that year and it was like nothing I'd done before. So this was the Lost Souls 50 miler? The Lost Souls 50K. Yeah, okay. it's, they're the oh, okay. 50K, 100K, and 100 miler for your okay. options. Got it. And talking to other run friends, they said it was moderately difficult. You know, it was kind of a quad trasher with all the steep declines. So I said, oh, you know, okay, I'll, I'll train hard for the 50. So I went and it was, it was wonderful. Um, just having a full day of solitude with those climbs and the descents and the river and the heat. It was such a magnificent experience. After that, I registered for the 100K the next year and <laughs> went and did the 100K. And each race where I got to go longer, I enjoyed myself more. And I found just a deeper mental headspace that I was able to access. And until I got to that spot where I was pushing up against a little bit of suffering, I didn't find such a great sense of peace. 
And so it was a wonderful thing just to chase that, that moving flow of peace that I was able to find every time I'd be able to push up against a bit of discomfort. That's why I started to enjoy the longer distances. That and you get more candy at the aid stations, you know, so <laughs> might as well get your money's worth, right? <laughs> well, you've certainly got your money's worth at Lost Souls. You've been back a few times. <laughs> Oh yeah, that's that's my that's my home race. It's like Christmas going back to Lost Souls every year. Yeah, it has just had a special place in my heart. After the hundred k, I did did some other races. Did Spruce Woods. Did lots of Goose. Um, went to Western States and paced a runner there. Ran the canyons on the Western States one hundred trail. Did the canyons hundred. So enjoyed lots of other trails and races, but I I love going back to Lost Souls. And where is Lost Souls? It's in Lethbridge. Okay. Yeah. It's an ultra race held in Lethbridge, um, just in the Old Man River Valley there. It's a three-loop race. Each loop is 55 kilometers, and uh, you can do a 50K, 100K, or 100-mile. I always tell Dean, the race director, he, he's got to give me a 200-mile one of these years so I can spend the whole weekend lost in the valley. <laughs> but uh, it's, it's really magical. You get desert heat. You get the cool of the valley. You get coolie climbs that are so steep you, you have to use your hands sometimes. Oh, wow. It's just a magnificent experience, and it's truly one of the most difficult races I've ever done. It's far harder than any mountain ultra I've ever done. You know, I've never done Lost Souls, and I must admit, for the longest time, I wasn't even remotely tempted, partially because <laughs> I don't do well in heat, and, you know, September, it's usually the the weekend, right when school starts, which is one of the reasons why I've never done it. Yeah. But what you just said is something everybody I've ever talked to says about lost souls that's ever been there. They just, there's a certain je ne sais quoi. Like there's just something about that place and that race that gets to people. My girlfriend, Sarah, went back like three times. And I, was just I haven't missed a year since I started ultra running with the exception of um, the year I had my baby girl. I had her two yeah. weeks before lost souls and Dean messaged me and he's like, yeah, coming. <laughs> or I forget how he put it. <laughs> But I'm like, I think I better hold off this year, Dean. But with the exception of the year I had my baby girl, um, I I haven't missed a year. And I know I'll have to someday because there's many races in the world. But there's something about the spirit of that place that is very uplifting. Um, I've never been to a race that has that kind of kind and encouraging environment. And it's where I met Carolyn Weep. Yeah. She's a fantastic run yeah. friend as well. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of lot of prairie runners have been there, and many people come from afar. It, it is a Western States qualifier, which is one of the reasons it's so hard to get mm -hmm. into. A few years ago, uh, the year my friend Sarah was, one of the years she was there, I remember it was really, really smoky, and she was a forest fire fighter, <laughs> and so she absolutely loved it. But oh, I think <laughs> you, you didn't have such a great experience. I think, did you mention that you oh, got carbon monoxide poisoning during that race? I did get mild carpet. That was my first DNF. Uh, Carolyn and I were both running the 100 that year. And uh, the morning of the race, the sky was just like dark with ash. Like you could taste it. It was awful. It was awful. And we're standing there at the start line and it is hot and it is smoky. And um, I was good until about 65 miles and Steve Towns, another good run friend was pacing me that year. And I was so excited to finish that hundred mile at Lost Souls. About halfway through the second loop, my legs started to go numb. And uh, that's not normal for me. I like those coolies. I like those hills. You know, I, I have my share of suffering and I can't always guarantee what my right hip is going to do, but I'm like, I, I don't know what's going on here, Steve. So we start, we started using hiking poles. We slowed down. Legs started getting increasingly numb. My lips started to get cherry red and I started to get really dizzy. So we'd sit down and put my knee, head between my knees, do some deep breathing. Um, took us about six hours to make it in from the North Loop on the third loop. And I saw Carolyn at the second last aid station. We were probably around mile 90 at that point. I was had blood coming out of my nose at that point, just from oh all the my. ash that we'd been breathing. So I had a tampon. I unwrapped a little OB tampon oh and goodness. stuck it up my nose. Oh my goodness. It worked fantastically. So I come stumbling into the aid station and Carolyn was there because she was hoping I'd come out with her again. And she was hurting too. And we were both right near the cutoffs because we I'd been sitting and trying to get some feeling in my legs for about six hours at that point. And uh, I pulled the tampon out of my nose and... 
this aid worker comes over to me and they didn't see me take it out of my nose. And they said, can I do anything for you? And I said, can you throw this away? Uh, and then I realized what I said. So I put it in a baggie and I said, I'm so sorry. It was in my nose. I think they realized that, you know, that was an awkward moment. It's really effective. I'm though. sure at really mile effective. 90, they're used to all kinds of bodily fluids. Yeah. Yeah, apparently I wasn't the only runner that's used tampons in their nose. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's very yeah. creative. Nothing surprises me with ultrasound. <laughs> Nothing at all. That is absolutely hilarious. But what's not hilarious, like you said, I got carbon monoxide poisoning. How did you know? How did they diagnose that? Or were you just so out of it? Um, well, it was a self-diagnosis. Um, yeah, okay. Yeah, no, I've treated carbon monoxide poisoning before. And uh, I knew when I started to get the numbness, started to okay. get the cherry colored lips. Okay. Um, started to get the discolored mucous membranes. I knew I was retaining too much. That's dangerous. And as the hours went on, it is dangerous. And I have a, like, I don't risk my health for races. I believe in honoring your body and respecting your body. And there's a time to push your discomfort and push your limits. Um, but there's a time to listen to your body and know when today is not that day. And I, I am not a masochist and I, I don't, I don't intentionally do things that harm my body. So I, I stopped. I talked to my pacer, Steve Towns, and uh, he was in agreement with me. It had taken us, I think we were moving at about two miles an hour with poles because I didn't have much control of the muscles of my feet. They were just so numb from breathing all the smoke. So we stopped at that point. That was pretty heartbreaking. I'd been training for so long and waiting for so many years to finish that 100 mile and to be right near the finish mm. and to, to have to stop. That was a hard one for me. And after that, I spent some time talking to my coach, Anne, and trying to figure out how to kind of get my mojo back. That was a really hard one to swallow. Yeah, Anne and I came up with the idea of a 24-hour valley run after that. My river valley here in Lumps in the Quipil River Valley. Um, Anne's a big encouragement to me, you know. She's not currently coaching me, but she coached me for several years when I started doing ultras and in the middle of my running time. And we come up with the idea that, you know, we'll wait a month to recover after Lost Souls and in October... Let's go run your own 100 in the Quipel River Valley. So uh, I put some bags out and told a few run friends that I was going to be running for 24 hours or 100 miles. And uh, I packed up a little bag of seeds and ashes of my dad and my grandpa. There's something about a river valley that makes it feel like home. That morning came when I decided to do my own ultra and ran through the day with some run friends that came to pace me. John Paradowski and Marsha Crossman brought me some Tim Hortons on a back road while I was doing loops of Seven Bridges Valley Road. And uh, the nighttime I ran alone. I just did big repeat routes through the valley and it was clear and it was beautiful and you could see the river. And when I got to the last, uh, last hour, I went to the track behind the Lumsden High School, which is right beside the river. And I did the last hour of some nice fast laps on the track. And it just felt like such a celebration of what your body and mind could do when you honor them. And it made me profoundly grateful. And it's so what if my race didn't come together one day? Neither did a lot of people's. It's not what it was about. It's about having the wellness and the ability to engage with something so difficult and so beautiful. Just having the ableness to try it just gave me a profound gratitude. And at the end of my ultra for one, I went down to the valley and I sprinkled a little bit of seeds and ashes for my dad and my grandpa. And that was a good end to that running season, even if I didn't get a rock out of it. Amen. It's not always about the metal or the buckle no, or the it's rock. Not. And the more you do it, I think the less you really even... Mm -hmm. think about those things you know yeah how did kind of running your own like it, it was supported in the sense that you had friends come out and, and pace you and that kind of thing but it wasn't like technically a, a organized event is am I hearing you no. right there how did no, that I put a Facebook post on my club run page and I said I'm going to be running for 24 hours yeah. so text me if you want to meet me in front of Valley Pizza and I'll loop back <laughs> through the valley <laughs> and then John and Marsha brought me a donut and a and a coffee so I did get crewy in the sense that I got a coffee at one point but I pretty much just had bags of stuff stowed all over the valley or I loop past my house I had all my bins set up in the garage yeah. So I could just restock super quick and head back out again. 
But it sounds to me like you did that for you, right? Like you really did that for you to to go out there and do it alone, essentially, right? Oh, it yeah. was not of part course. of an organized race. And uh and did you feel like it gave you that closure that you were looking for, like from the race the month before that that you DNF'd? I think it uh, reminded me that I could uh trust myself that even if circumstances didn't come together on one day, it didn't define mm-hmm. my training season. Mm-hmm. You know, I was kind of a baby ultra runner trying to finish that 100 mile at Lost Souls. I'd only done 100 at that point, which mm-hmm. was Spruce Woods, which was my first 100. Mm-hmm. And so I was I was a baby, right? And greater than being a baby physically, I was a baby mentally in my running. I was still so focused on my finish and my pace card, right? right. And um, it reminded me that it, it's not about your, your season or your race cycle isn't defined by exactly what you pull off as far as a finish or a time. It's not defined by these binary goals that we set out for ourselves, but uh, it needs to be defined by a constant undercurrent of gratitude and a constant undercurrent of respecting where your body is each day. Yeah, Because otherwise you're just going to be pushing yourself to ends that are driven by, um, by the ego, by external things. And you're not going to be driven by your desire to... Um, take care of your mind and your spirit through your endurance movement which pays you dividends it's so much so yeah so much so so it it reminded me of the gratefulness that I needed to have toward both my health and the running community well I imagine your experience with with the loss of your father let's just say as a child still couldn't help but have shaped your perspective of gratitude and you know not everybody gets to do these things not everybody has either the physical ability or the health or even the the length of life to do these things and so you know we've had conversations a conversation about this Heidi about almost how dare you not attitude right like I get to do this but how dare I not do this because I've been given this time on this earth Mm-hmm. in these beautiful places in these beautiful spaces to move yeah. <laughs> explore the edges yeah yeah well switching gears yeah. a little bit you have always been a frontline healthcare worker right your whole career you've done you did the paramedic and and the nursing after that correct, correct? yeah yeah so talk to us about how those experiences at work uh, have sort of shaped the way that you look at life, your outlook? I think they've given me, in as much as one can be aware of it, I think they've given me context for what's really a terrible day, especially when I was working um, EMS and Emerge. Um, Now I'm CCU, um, home care and um, casual EMS. But when I was working full on Emerge and, um, field ambulance you go every day um, not that all calls are terrible but you know every day you're being called to situations where it's these people's worst day Mm -hmm. and in our lives you know we have several days that maybe stand out in our minds and our hearts and our spirits as as pivotal points you know pivotal worst days worst moments where the thing has come to pass that is is so terrible that you think it cannot be you know Mm -hmm. we all have a few of those but um, regularly, just as part of going to work, working with the families and the people where their worst day was coming to pass, really gave me perspective and gratitude every time I went home at the end of shift. And I had two working legs. I had a heart that didn't have to have a stent in it from a clot. I had kidneys that excreted urine and I didn't have to be on dialysis. I got out of my car and walked to my house and I didn't have to get cut out by the jaws of life. Every day that I would come and go from work, whether it was um, working EMS, Emerge or, or CCU, I would be grateful that I was well. Be grateful that today I wasn't the family member that was getting that worst day news. Um, because those days come for all of us. That's just part of the story of being human. So I wasn't um, wasn't afraid when they would come again for me, but I was grateful 
for my days when they weren't. So it gave me gratitude for the wellness that I had within my body. Well, we even saw this when we when we um, were getting on the call tonight. Uh, I'll just share share a fun little story for for the listeners that. We had some technical difficulties at the beginning of this recording. And so Kim and I were like, oh, my goodness, I hope she's not too frazzled when she gets on the call. And so when you finally got on the call, we're like, oh, I hope you're not too frazzled. You're like, no, I'm good. Nobody's died. (laughs) (laughs) And so I really do hear you, uh, the little that I know of you, I hear you kind of bringing that perspective and bringing that gratitude into your everyday moments that might really um, ruffle feathers in in somebody else. And and you're just like, nope, perspective. So you're living it. (laughs) Yeah. So on that note, we, you know, as you know, are called Inspired Souls podcast. Your life experiences have given you a lot of perspective, but I'm curious uh, if there is any person in particular in your life that has inspired you, either in your running journey or just in life in general. As far as my running journey, probably one of my biggest inspirations is my friend Robin. She's also a, a registered nurse, mom of two, one of the hardest working women I know. Um, but just the the steadfastness that she applies to her life and moving through challenges and uh, the positivity that she always puts out into the world is an inspiration to me. As far as running inspiration specifically goes, I always think of my dad when I run, but um, two of my biggest inspirations in my family now would be um, my mom and my sister, Sarah. My mom is one of the most loving people I've ever met and, uh, She's always believed in me. And so I always think of her when I run. Uh, she has some health challenges now and um, isn't able to be as vigorous, you know, as she used to be. And I always think of her when I run. Mm. And uh, my sister, Sarah, beautiful pianist. We're very, very close. Um, I love all my sisters. But uh, my sister, Sarah, always plays for me when I run an ultra. She um, has composed many pieces. She's an award-winning composer, mom of three, hardworking, wonderful woman. And uh, when I'm doing a a full hundred and I get into the night loop, she'll text me at a certain point and uh, she'll tell me I'm playing for you now. And uh, sometimes she'll play for hours for me. And it's uh, a really, really beautiful thing that that grounds me to my childhood, um, grounds me to the people that I love. My sister um, also isn't blessed with as good of health as myself, um, even though she's younger than me. Uh, For confidential reasons, I won't get into that. But um, once again, it gives me gratitude that I'm able to do this. Mm-hmm. So I would say gratitude is truly my biggest inspiration. Uh, well, that's ringing true mm-hmm. uh, over and over again in, in everything that you've shared. So you like, I would say from my listening of you, running has taught you really over and over again about gratitude, about perspective. Mm-hmm. But is there anything else you want to add here on the topic of what running's taught you? Is there anything else you want to share with our listeners? Ryan's taught me, I would say the first thing that always comes to mind when people ask me that is is it's taught me to trust myself for lack of a better way of putting it. It's taught me to be kind to your kind to myself. You can't be getting through the back half of a hundred or even a hard training run. If you're not speaking kindly to yourself, Mm. you know, the minute you disengage from being kind to yourself and staying in the moment is when you know, you're going to DNF. Yeah. Because your mind and your body aren't working together. Right. Yeah. So running has taught me to trust myself to stay present because you can't run even a long training run and bite off the whole thing in your mind at once. It's taught me to stay right in the moment and to manage the moment I'm in. And by repeating that and staying in the moment and managing the moment you're in and then doing that again and again while still being kind to yourself, you, you make friends with your pain. And, and then you're not afraid of it anymore. Are you only uh, 
in your 30s because you have the wisdom of somebody that's in their eighth or ninth decade of life. Wow. No, it's just, it, it was revolutionary to me when um, I realized that if I could just make make friends with my pain, for lack of a better word of, of thinking about it, that um, there was nothing you couldn't think over trying to do. Someone said to me once, you can run on pain like you can run on anything else. Like not the pain of injury, but the overwhelming feeling of discouragement and despair and soreness and fatigue. You can run on that. Absolutely, you can. And once you realize that, as long as you stay present and are kind to your body and honor it if it does need a break, if there's an injury, as long as you stay present and are kind to yourself, who knows where those those edges are, hey? Right. Yeah. 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 The writing's taught me to trust myself and be kind to myself. And use your pain to fuel the fire that keeps you going. Yeah, and just, just don't be afraid. It's yeah. just a sensation, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, we're talking a lot about pain and suffering here, <laughs> which, which in ultra running, yes, is part of it. But let's, before we get to the rapid fire questions, kind of talk about maybe what's exciting you these days. I know it's COVID and all the races seem to be maybe, maybe not. Is there anything that's kind of exciting you? Do you have any projects on the go for this summer? Well, as far as running goes, I'm really excited that my good friend John Paradowski just finished his uh, virtual Trans-Canada run for um, mitochondrial disease research mm-hmm. fundraising in Canada. Uh, I was happy to share many pacer miles uh, with him while Marsha was on the bike. We did some socially distanced running, just encouraging him while he finished this spring. So that's been a source of excitement for me is um, being a cheerleader and a distance pacer in that process. Well, you know what? He's been nominated to be on our podcast by a few people. So I'm going to put it out there right now. Heidi, you need to make sure he gets on this podcast. Second that, John. I'm giving you the shout out right now. <laughs> if I can come on here and talk, so can you, man. <laughs> I'd love to hear all about that experience, that trans-Canadian run. Well, are you ready for the rapid fire questions? For sure. Do you in advance? So (laughs) I can't wait to hear your answer for this one. Um, Do you have a favorite mantra when you're running? I have a couple, but uh, my favorite one is no one is coming for you. (laughs) 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 They'll figure it out. And for me, that just, um, it makes me assess what my motivation is that day, right? Mm -hmm. No one is coming for you. There, there's no there's no parade, there's no pacer, there's no cheering. What are you going to find within you to do today? Mm-hmm. And the answer is different each day. Not that there's not a lot of good supports and wonderful people in our lives, but end of the day, whether it's a race or life, you know, no one's coming to live it for you. So what are you going to be? Like I said, she's a running philosopher, well beyond your years. I love it. Okay, so what is your favorite place to run? Anywhere with my best running friend, Robin. <laughs> she lives in the Battleford area. Sounds like we'll have to have Robin on the podcast. <laughs> yeah, actually, Robin is much more articulate than myself, and she's a killer organizer. She could give you a whole tutorial on like how to pack and prep and crew and organize. <laughs> I always joke when I travel with Robin, I just say, where do I show up? And Robin <laughs> just takes care of me. She's fantastic. <laughs> best crew mother and a pretty okay. sick ultra runner as well. Wow. But anywhere with my best run friend, Rob. Obviously, I love a good river valley. I love a good coulee. Sometimes Rob and I will just be like, you know, I'm off Friday. Could you be off Friday? And then uh, we'll drive to Saskatoon, which is a halfway point. It's about an hour and a half, two hours for each of us. And then we'll run until we have to go home and get our kids again. (laughs) And then we'll drive back. (laughs) Is there a race on your bucket list? Oh, gosh, there's so many, hey? I'm so excited for post-COVID when we can all gather and wander around in hills and forests and stuff together again. Oh, uh, As far as bucket list, uh, I'd like a Lost Souls 200 miler. So, Dean Johnson, if you could make a Lost Souls 200, that would be my bucket list race. Um, as far as races that are in existence right now, um, in the next few years, I want to get my resume ready to apply for Badwater. So. Ooh. That's that's um, on the resume building list right now. So I've got to run the qualifying races and start applying. And as soon as COVID allows, I'm ready to run those qualifying races. Well, that will be interesting. You certainly have some heat experience at Lost Souls, that's for sure. So I know you're a reader. 
And you probably had a hard time choosing just one. But oh my gosh, I had a whole sheet of paper with books on it, Kim. (laughs) I knew it. It was the hardest part of the interview was favorite book. What? (laughs) Okay. What did you come up with? My favorite book, probably a toss up between Explorers of the Infinite by Maria Coffey and uh, Eat and Run by Scott Drake. Mm. So I know the second, the first one's new to me, Explorers of the Infinite. Kim, you are going to just blow your lid. I can't, don't even know how to describe this book. I read this book before I even became an ultra runner. And uh, it's a collection of philosophical essays. Each title is chaptered or titled um, like fear, courage, perseverance, desolation. Mm. And it is a reflective essay from experiences in extreme wilderness situations or spiritual experiences in nature in each chapter. And uh, some of it gets quite metaphysical, but uh, there is some powerful essays in that book. And it deeply affected me. Hey, at mile 80, we're all in a metaphysical state of (laughs) Yeah, we are. (laughs) Highly recommend, though, Explorers of the Infinite by Maria Coffey. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm due for a download here on my uh, Audible (laughs) account. So I might have to add that one to the wish list. Okay. Final question. Do you have a favorite post-run indulgence? I'm pretty simple post-run. I don't really get hungry until a little bit later. I usually uh, get a really big coffee. Sometimes I actually get two extra large coffees with two cream and a sugar. And then I like to see people come in and cheer and like drink my nice hot coffee and uh, have a lot of black licorice. But I usually don't get really hungry until a little bit later after Mm -hmm. a race. I'm a champion eater during races, so I stay pretty caloried up. But yeah, definitely an extra large coffee with lots of cream and sugar is my pickup. I don't care if it's 40 degrees in uh, Lost Souls. I still want my coffee at the end of the race. (laughs) Good to know. Good to know if I'm ever at a finish line with you. Okay. (laughs) I will be someday. Someday we will run together and meet in person and share some some trail miles. So what what do you say? I mean, this, this has been just such an amazing conversation. We dove right in there, right at the beginning, which we love to do on this podcast. And you shared some really insightful pearls of wisdom for a lot of people, whether you're a runner or not. I think um, a lot of people would get a lot out of listening to your story. So thank you so much for sharing. And is there a place that uh, people can find you? Are you on social media if, if people were intrigued by this conversation? For sure. Yeah. I'm on Facebook and Instagram. Um, I made a Twitter account to follow the Barclays three years ago and I can't figure out how to get back into it. So. <laughs> you know, that's the only thing I used to I have a presence you. on Twitter, but I won't be able to talk back to you there. I can get my 10 year old son to get it set up for next year's Barclays because that's the only good way to track the Barclays, but Instagram and Facebook for sure. And I believe my settings are open. So if people want to search me and, uh, look at some, you know, good dog and running pictures, have at it. Awesome. And what's your handle on Instagram? Um, my Instagram handle is um, H-I Schmaltz, but the I is the H and the I are capital. So it looks like high Schmaltz. It's actually supposed to be an H-L for Heidi Lynn, but just H and I and then Schmaltz. All right. Well, we'll link that up in the show notes if anybody wants to connect with you there and and um follow along on your adventures so thanks again Heidi this was great oh thanks so much for having me on 